Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. I thank everyone for their prayers and intercession on my behalf. Our subject this morning is of monumental importance. Of course, everything in God's Word is of monumental importance, but the subject which the Lord has laid on my heart this morning is one which involves a great mystery which man has for ages attempted to discover and yet has not discovered the fullness in this lifetime at least. Job chapter 42, verses 1 to 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself. I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 41 chapters. And in this final chapter, Job humbly confesses his ignorance concerning the mysteries of God's divine providence and the afflictions and sufferings of the righteous. Our Father, we pray that you would help us this morning. I know the task before me is far greater than I of my own could even possibly think of fulfilling. I need divine assistance this morning, Father. And I pray that, Lord, you'd help us to at least catch a glimpse of what Job is teaching us. Father, I pray for those that are yet young in years. I pray that, Lord, this message would prepare them for those things in life and the future, Lord, that are unexpected. Those trials and afflictions that come with great heaviness and sorrow. Father, how I pray that you'd help us to see you this morning and realize and understand that regardless of what happens in our lives, whether we comprehend it presently or not, you doeth all things good. You're not merely pitiful. You're very pitiful and of tender mercy. Father, I pray, reveal yourself unto your children. Magnify yourself, we pray. For it's in Christ's name and for his honor and glory alone we ask these things. Amen and amen. Amen. Before we begin this morning, I wish to first of all assure you that I do not in any form, fashion, or manner foolishly believe I have mastered or fully comprehended this divine subject which I believe God would have for us this morning. And if the truth be told... I truly doubt whether there has ever been or ever will be anyone amongst men or angels who shall ever fully comprehend the infinite and unimaginable depth of this divine subject of the book of Job. The only man I believe to have ever come even close to understanding this divine subject humbly confessed that he uttered that which he understood not, things too wonderful for him which he knew not, things which moved him to abhor himself and repent in dust and ashes. That's the only man I know of in this world that has ever even come close. And yet when he understood it, when he not only heard it but seen it, he abhorred himself. How bold and prideful is sinful man to think that he can discover the mysteries of God without seeing himself as nothing. So where is the expert on this divine subject? 
let him follow Job's example of humility, repentance, and self-abasement before God. Many times over the last 40 years, I've heard preachers preach on the book of Job with a, almost with an air of pride and complete understanding and comprehension. And I do not believe the book of Job, any book of the Bible for that matter, but especially the book of Job and its subject should never be taught or preached or read or believed in a spirit of pridefulness and self-accomplishment, but of humility and repentance. And yet by God's infinite grace and mercy, He often grants us a glimpse of its divine blessings, yet, like Paul said, through a glass darkly. There are so many things we know about God yet through a glass darkly. We know them, like Paul said, I heard like Job said, I heard them. And now he sees them, but sometimes we see them through a glass darkly. But even then, the smallest glimpse of divine light, the smallest glimpse of divine grace and mercy offers the greatest comfort in our most darkest hour. We don't need a whole lot of grace. We merely need simply a small amount of grace. It's almost like Moses who desired desired to see God's glory when only the back parts of God was revealed. Only the back parts. Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. You see, when God reveals himself and a mystery about himself, it doesn't induce pride in man. It produces humility and self-abasement. He's God. Sometimes when we gather together to worship, or gather together in prayer, we forget that, that He's God, and we irreverently approach His presence as though it's some kind of a habitual habit that we do. God, help us to always be reminded when we approach God in prayer or in worship, we're approaching the Almighty living God. Yes, we can do it with joy, and we should do it with praise, enter into His gates with praise, but praise is an act of humiliation. Paul said the best, the best of saints, know only in part. There's where we need to start. I know only in part. But then, Paul said, there's coming a day when we finally stand before God and in His presence, we might understand these things more clearly. But there are a lot of things about this life, about Christianity, especially about God working in our lives as believers, that's going to remain a mystery. And if we have no answer to the reason why, I'm getting ahead of myself, but learn from Job, at the end of it, we must humbly learn to submit to God's divine providence and sovereignty believing that everything God does is good and that He is very pitiful and of tender mercy. No answer, merely submission. Let me begin by explaining something about the book of Job that I believe many have overlooked. Namely, many people make the mistake of believing that the book of Job is all about the afflictions and sufferings of Job. This is what draws countless people to the book of Job's. In their own sufferings and afflictions, they're looking for answers. And they think the book of Job is about Job and his afflictions. And it does speak much about afflictions. But it's not primarily about Job and the sufferings and afflictions. Actually, it's not primarily against, or it's not primarily for the afflictions and sufferings of God's people. For man would always seek to make all things about himself, especially his sufferings. Like I said yesterday, it's, it's all about me. I'm hurt. I'm sorrowful. I'm, uh, I've got a broken heart. It's about me. It's about me. And, and if you look at a lot of the contemporary Christian music today, I call it Christian music, but it's not. If you look at all the, a lot of the modern churches today and all their sermons, it's, it revolves about man and his need and his necessity to have peace and joy and happiness. It's not about God. But I believe this to be a great mistake when we begin to make Job about ourselves. And I think it's a mistake which keeps us from understanding in a much greater light the amazing truths found in Job. Over in James 5, we looked at it yesterday. 
Let me show you what I believe the scripture proves to be the key to Job. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And it was amazing in my study this past week as I was looking around and, you know, you look at uh, our forefathers, uh, commentators from the Puritans, Reformers. I, I came across quite a few of them that went back to James too. And that, I don't know how you what you understand about that, but when you're preparing for a sermon and you believe God's laid something on your heart and it's witnessed by by other people, it's an assurance you're going in the right direction. You see, that's why it's not it's not wrong to compare commentaries and comments and everything from previous preachers and pastors and our forefathers. You want to make sure that you're you're not being rogue. Same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. James chapter 5, verse 11. I believe this is the key to Job. And I think when you read Job, you need to start here. James chapter 5, verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. You've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. Like I said yesterday, you notice those two expressions. Heard. Job said, I, I have heard. And then you see. Job said, now I see. So you have the same divine truth in these words. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now James says regarding Job, we are to hear of Job's patience, learn from his endurance, hear of his patience, but it is the end or the conclusion of the Lord that we are to see. In other words, we don't put our concentration on Job by lifting him up. We see the end or the conclusion of the Lord. And what are we supposed to see in that conclusion? That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now, I ask you, have you ever read the book of Job and considered the Lord being very pitiful and of tender mercy? Very rarely do Christians see that. But James says, no, you have... God being very pitiful and of tender mercy in Job. It tells me we're missing something about the book of Job that we need to understand. James said he's not merely pitiful. That means to be compassionate. But James says distinctly, very pitiful, which implies extremely compassionate. And also having a heart Again, I'm not trying to give God body parts for, for our understanding, the dictionary definition of it, even the, uh, the Greek tech de uh, definition of it, is having a heart to feel sorrow and sympathy for the distressed. So that's what very pitiful means, extremely compassionate, and having a heart to feel sorrow and sympathy for the distressed. That's what James says God shows in Job. Now, I don't know about you, but the first few times I read Job, I didn't see that. I thought God was kind of being kind of harsh, letting Satan have his way with Job, and doing what he can, and then letting him have sickness and all this other kind of stuff, and then him having friends who don't understand him. But no, James declares in the book of Job, God reveals himself as being very pitiful and of tender mercy. You see, that's the mystery of Job, the book of Job. That's the mystery. He says of tender mercy. Tender mercy, not merely mercy. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit emphasizes these things of pity and mercy. And it's in Job. What are we missing in our afflictions? This, seeing God very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now, tender mercy, that phrase of its own, is only found three times in Scripture. Once, and first time, is in the penitent psalm, Psalm 51. When David begins to confess his sins before God, he says in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He pleads the tender mercies of God. In his repentance, the tender mercies of God. The tender mercies of God. The second one is Luke chapter 1 in regards to 
John the Baptist when he's declaring what he's going, how he's going to declare Christ. It says in Luke chapter 1 verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God. Salvation. Whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The tender mercies of God. And then here in James chapter 5, verse 11, which is the key which unlocks the book of Job as well as well as all the sufferings and afflictions of the righteous. If you forget anything this morning, <clears throat> please do not forget that divine truth. In all our afflictions, God is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Whether we comprehend it or not, whether the sorrow overwhelms us, whether it's beyond all comprehension, let faith believe that God is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Because if we don't, we're going to miss the comforts of God in our afflictions. And though all sufferings and afflictions of the righteous have their origin in God's sovereignty and divine providence, and I hope we all believe that at least or understand that, to a certain degree, all sufferings and afflictions have their origin in God's sovereign and divine providence. Many, which Scripture is quick to declare their divine purpose and blessings, sometimes God explains to us, sometimes God describes unto us, sometimes God gives us an answer, yet there are some that God doesn't. For example... Psalm 119.71 about afflictions. He understood it. It is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. It's good for me that I've been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. Now we can apply that truth to every affliction and every suffering. But he had an answer to his afflictions. He had a source. He had an origin of his afflictions and he knew where to go to for comfort. Psalm 119.67 Before I was afflicted I went astray. But now I have kept thy word. Psalm 119.75, again, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right. I know that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. So you see, there are some afflictions where God gives divine light and comfort and reasoning and understanding. Praise the Lord for that. Paul said, for our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, for it helps us to look on things that we don't see, things that are unseen or eternal. You know the text there. So you see, there are some afflictions that the Scripture gives us an understanding in. And I'm thankful for that. And though all these verses can be applied to any and all sufferings and afflictions, beloved, there remain yet sufferings and afflictions which contain a divine mystery that has proven to confound the greatest of saints. Sometimes God doesn't give us an answer. And it's usually, listen to me, it's usually those sufferings and afflictions which come from the very hand of God with no apparent or discernible reasoning. We can bear afflictions that come from the world, from those who persecute us, from Satan, from friends and family. But one thing that has been very incomprehensible for many saints of God is when the affliction comes from God's own hand and for no apparent reason. Look back over at Job chapter 1. Let me show you something. I'm sure we've all noticed it, but I want you to see this to prove what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Job chapter 2, I'm sorry, Job chapter 2. Satan's already been given liberty, and so now <clears throat> Satan comes appear, appears again before God. Now watch what God said the second time about, about Job's sufferings, that he's already suffered. Verse 3 of chapter 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. That's the same thing he said in chapter 1. But he adds some. Watch this. And still, 
He holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him. What's his last words? Without cause. You ever notice that word? Or those words? God told Satan and tells us, I'm doing this without cause. I'm simply doing it because I'm God. Now, there's a purpose and a reason behind it. God doesn't do anything without a purpose and reason, but He's not also accountable to tell us why. This has always confounded the saints of God. Always. When the affliction comes from the hand of God with no apparent reasoning or motive. Nothing. Nothing discernible. Habakkuk complained, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto, unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save? Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? The prophet complained to God, why are you doing this? I don't understand why your hand is so heavy upon thy people. Again, the affliction coming from God. It wasn't coming from their enemies. Habakkuk knew it was God, and he said, why are you doing that? There's no apparent or discernible reasoning behind what you're doing. Gideon was yet another one. He says, Oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then has all this befallen us? If God is with us, why is this happening? When God came and spoke to Gideon, If you're with us, why are you allowing all this to happen? We're in captivity. We don't have any food. We've got to struggle for everything we get. If you're with us, God, why are you doing this? Always been something that has confounded even the greatest saints of God. Remember Jacob? We all know about the story of Joseph. You know, God was with Joseph. God led him to where he was. And Joseph said, it was not you, but it was God who led me here. Well, after all this, right before Jacob meets Joseph and finds out that Joseph kept his younger son, Benjamin, Jacob cried out and says, all these things are against me. It's all against me. In Job 23, let's listen to the own voice of Job. Look at Job 23, verse 1. Job 23, verse 1 says, Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. He's going to dispute with God. You beginning to see where Job's failure was, where sin was? I'm getting ahead of myself, but we never dispute God about his providence. We never call into question why he's doing what he's doing. That greatly offends God. It's a lack of faith. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but it also helped it also encourages us to misrepresent the character of God. That offends God. You're saying I'm unfair, I'm not loving, I'm not merciful, I'm not kind. All those things I am, you're, you're, you're doing me wrong, you're offending me. By disputing my divine providence and sovereignty, my right to be God, but also my right to govern you the way I feel I should. I'm going to fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. We're fixing to look at that verse in a few minutes, but Elihu says, God doesn't have to give account of any of his ways to anybody. And when we begin asking God to give an account, it greatly offends God. I'm not asking, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm not asking that we're not to ask for wisdom. James says, if we lack wisdom, let us ask of God who gives liberally and abradeth not, and he'll give us to us, let us ask with faith, not being double-minded. That's in regards of wisdoms of our trials. But when we begin to argue with God, when we begin to contend with God and question His providences, we're getting into something that we ought not to ever do. And that's why Job says, I've darkened counsel with words with no knowledge. I've been a fool. I should have known better. I should have known God better. Sinful man, though, would say, I have a right to know. It's happening to me. God has to answer me. When we come to God with that kind of spirit, we're, we greatly offend God. 
If he chooses to give us an answer, it's as of his own free sovereign will. But many times he chooses us not to give us an answer. He asks, he commands that we simply submit and trust. But it hurts. Don't underestimate what Job went through. Sometimes we read it as though it's some kind of distant fable. Job lost everything. Not one child, but many. He lost all his riches. He got boils. I've never had them, but I've read about them. Don't underestimate what Job went through. And yet God still says, Job, you're darkening counsel with words of words without knowledge. You're beginning to question and argue with me about my divine providence. I would know the words which he would answer me and I'd understand what he would say unto me. Man always thinks he deserves an answer and he should know everything. When God sovereignly allows us to suffer afflictions at the hands of the world, Satan, friends, and family, this is often difficult of itself. Yet to know that our present sufferings and afflictions come from the very hand of God himself can at first be very troubling, and it is. The question why will always pop into our minds. We're weak and we're frail. Not all afflictions is punishment for sin. How I wish God's people would comprehend that. And I know that it's a lesson needs to be taught by God. Man can't teach that lesson. But not all afflictions are a punishment from God. Many times afflictions are at the mercy and pity of God. Many times afflictions work things in us that we know not of ourselves until later. It takes time to ripen. And the things that we learn from those things, dearly beloved, sometimes we're not even aware that it was the affliction that built that in me by the grace of God. Sometimes they can be very troubling when they come from the very hand of God for such afflictions often come with a silence from God as to any reason why. Merely a divine call to humbly submit and trust in God. Submit in me and trust in me. But Lord, it hurts. Submit and trust in me. Job says, but Lord, you took everything I had. You took my children and my land and my riches. You took my health. You took everything I had. And now I've got three miserable friends sitting here, or miserable comforters. Even my wife has says, curse God and die. You took everything I had. And God says, but I'm still very pitiful and of tender mercy. Oh, you Christians are morbid. No. No. Mm, dearly beloved, this is meat this morning. This is actual meat that we need to chew on. And be careful you don't choke on it. Again, I'm not an expert in this field, but in 40 years of Christian life, I have suffered some things, many things, like all of us. And age is not always wisdom, like Job says, but sometimes it pays heed to listen. Which leads us this morning to the first lesson Job learned from God concerning his afflictions, namely that Job spoke unwisely of God's providence and misinterpreted God's character. Look at what he says back in Job 42. Job 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything. What a humble confession. You can do everything. That's after three chapters, I think, three or four chapters for God. Just and, and, you know, we always talk about John 17 being the holy of holies because Christ's prayers. And here's, here's three or four chapters where God speaks. God speaks directly to Job. Can you imagine God speaking that often? <laughs> but Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. I can't hide anything from me. You know me. Oh, wait, this isn't, isn't this the same confession Peter made? 
when the Lord asked him that, and he said, Lord, you knoweth all things. Lovest thou me? He said, Lord, you knoweth all things. How did Peter come to that discovery? You'll deny me three times. Oh, no, I won't do that. Peter realized God knows everything. Job realized he knows everything. He might have realized it before, but now he really, you, you know everything. Nothing can be withholden from thee. Everything's an open book before thee. And then Job echoes what the Lord said. Okay? Look at uh, chapter 38 of, of Job. I want you to see this. Chapter 38 of Job. First time God speaks. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is he that darkeneth the counsel by words without knowledge? Listen to Job. Verse 3, chapter 42. <clears throat> Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? He echoes God. He said, You're right. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have uttered that I understood not. I uttered that I understood not. I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Look at this humble confession. Job and his three friends, in their attempts to discover and explain God's providence and divine will and sufferings, darkened counsel, the Bible says, by their words without wisdom. Be weary of somebody who comes to you and says they have insight on what God is doing in your life. I'm getting ahead of myself, but you know the sin of Job's three friends, which we'll find out later on. The sin of Job's three friends is because uh, they want to do a theocracy. You know what that is? It's a big theological term, but that's actually it's uh, vindicating God's goodness in the existence of evil and sorrow. In other words, they did their best to make God look good in the presence of, of evil and sorrow. You don't have to do that. We don't have to vindicate God for anything. And this is what made God so mad about his friends. If you read the rest of Psalm, or Proverbs 42, he then turns to his friends. He says, I'm mad at you. You didn't answer the way Job did. You're trying to vindicate my goodness in the, in the, in the existence of, of sin and error and suffering. <clears throat> not error, but sin and, not, not sin, I'm sorry, suffering and evil. You can't do that. Let me give you an example, and I, I, I don't want to play on other people's heartaches and sorrows. Please do not take this falsely or wrong. Let me give you an example of people trying to vindicate God's goodness in the presence or the existence of evil and sorrow. Florida, an apartment complex, 1 of 20 in the morning, collapses. In their sleep, people are killed. People of all ages. And Christians are out there trying to vindicate God's goodness because they, he allowed or permitted that to happen. You can't do that. You, you don't have an answer for that. Why do we think as Christians we always got to have the answer? We don't. 9-11. Big questions in a lot of papers. Where was God? Thousands of people died. Good. Act of terrorism. We know the result is sin. We can always have a theological discussion about these things. But I'm telling you, it comes down to the question, why does God, why does a benevolent God who is good and merciful and benevolent. Why does he allow and permit evil and sorrow? Sometimes there's no answer. Not in this life. And yet we have to always find an answer. Or we're not satisfied. Job's three friends were at the height of their friendship when they sat before him silent and didn't open their mouth. It's when they begin opening their mouth and trying to vindicate God's goodness in the experience of his sufferings that God got upset. They tried to explain it. They tried to prove to Job that God was good in spite of all this. We're encouraged in the book of James concerning the trial of our faith, like I said earlier, to ask of God wisdom regarding those trials. For God will give to all men, the Bible says, liberally, and upbraideth not. But, beloved, when we begin to question God's eternal counsel and providence concerning our sufferings and misrepresent his, mis his character, we darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge. 
And I'm telling you, I have ran in, not only myself have been guilty of that, but I've ran into especially young Christians who darken the counsel by words without knowledge. They think they comprehend the deep things of God, and therefore they think, like Job's three friends, they can stand on a pedestal and look down on others, and they can bring condemnation and judgment or whatever they might, yet they darken the counsel with words without knowledge. One thing that comes to my mind with the dealing of Job and his three friends, just a short exhortation to us all. When someone else is suffering under the hand of God, be careful what wisdom, what words, what advice you give. I'm so appalled that there are so many, especially on the Internet. This is why I took Facebook off my phone. But I'm so appalled at so many Christians who are quick to call others apostates and hypocrites, and liars. So many Christians so quick to give advice to those who are suffering like they wrote the book on misery and suffering. Be careful how we advise those who are suffering under the hand of God. Because I want you to notice something. In all those chapters God spoke, and I want you to remember these words because it says it a few times. It says, then the Lord answered Job. I don't believe the other three heard a voice from God. I think God spoke merely to Job. In your trials and in my trials and afflictions, God's not going to tell you what he's doing in me. He's going to tell me what he's doing in me. (laughs) If I'll just listen. So be careful when we find somebody under suffering hands of God. Be careful when we try to comfort those who are suffering under the hands of God. I'm not saying we shouldn't seek to comfort them, but be careful the words we use. Be careful how we speak. Elihu said, or asked Job in Job 33, that's what, you ever notice why Elihu never was under those three that needed offerings? Because Elihu, if you read what he says, he says basically the same thing God does. Some people question who that fourth man was, but I'm not going to get into that. But Elihu said this. He said, why dost thou strive, chide, complain, contend against him? Why do you strive against him? For he giveth no account of any of his matters. Why are you why are you striving? That's what Job was doing. See, Job was striving with God. His three friends were trying to vindicate God's goodness, and both were wrong. God said, you don't strive with me, Job. You don't contend with me. You don't say you're going to come to me with arguments and you're going to demand answers. You don't do that. You don't question my providence. But his three friends, in some manners, did the greater sin. They're trying to find reason why God allowed Job to suffer. They tried to vindicate God's goodness. God said, I don't need you to do that. I don't have to give account of any of my matters to you. They tried to provide justification for what God was doing in Job's life. God says you don't do that. Never try when someone else is suffering and we're discussing with them, we're trying to comfort them, listen to me very carefully because this is a very sensitive matter and most people are most insensitive. Never attempt to justify what God is doing in their life. That's why Job called his friends, you are most of of miserable comforters. The vindication of divine goodness and providence in view of the existence of evil. That's what they were doing. Why would a benevolent God create evil and permit suffering? Is that not what we constantly hear in this world? Are we not constantly asked that? If you, if if God is who He says He is, why does He allow this? And again, I'm not playing on anybody's sorrow and sadness. I I really do not want to do that. And I I hope and pray I'm I'm not doing that. But there's a lot of suffering in this world, and you ask yourself sometimes why a bus full of girls in a girls' camp squished between two semis on wet roads in the south when it was raining a couple of weeks ago, killed nine of them from the ages of five to 14, I think. 
People look at that and they say, why, if you have a, such a benevolent God, why does he allow and permit that? And Christians scramble to give come some kind of an answer because they're afraid that they might not believe in God when sometimes, dearly beloved, when sometimes there's merely not an answer. There's not an answer. He's still God. William Hughes, two men in my life have preached sermons that life-changing. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a in a service like that where the preaching was just you were amazed. It was it was just I'm not saying caught away. I'm not trying to do some charismatic thing, but it was just overwhelming, overwhelming. Two times in my life, which is more William Hughes and. Uh, Al Martin, sermon in New Jersey on the Holy Spirit of God and preaching. Not just I, but everybody in the room. Memorized, mesmerized, couldn't move. Some guy had to get up after about 10 minutes and say, brethren, we have to keep moving. We have a conference here. We have to... Nobody moved. Over 100 men couldn't move. Weeping all over. Amazing. William Hughes got up and preached in London. Heard him preach. He was a contemporary of Lloyd-Jones. Had a mudslide in Upper Wales came down and destroyed an elementary school, killed all the kids. Elementary school. They asked Lloyd-Jones to come up and preach the funeral. In that sermon, William Hughes said these words, and they've never left me. He said when he heard about that and he got on the plane with Lloyd-Jones to go up there, he said he was thinking in his mind, what does a man say to all these parents who've lost their kids? What does a man say? Beloved, sometimes there's nothing to say. I form the light, Isaiah 45, and create darkness. I make peace and create evil, adversity, calamity, grief, sorrow. I create it. So God said, I, the Lord, do all these things. Beloved, since the beginning of time, man has struggled with this divine truth, yet still God gives no account of any of his matters. And those who attempt to vindicate his goodness and mercy in view of the existence of evil and sufferings, beloved, will find themselves darkening counsel by words without knowledge. Be careful that we do not commit the same sin as Job and his three friends. In closing, and I want to kind of maybe look at this verse, Job's reaction next week. This, I just want to, I'm, today I'm just laying down what the book of Job teaches us, but I want to see Job's reaction. I want to learn from that, Lord willing. But what, what then, what are we to learn then or see from the book of Job? Let me read something that, um, somebody said a long time ago. I think I left it in my book, my Bible, or did I give it to you? You got the pages I gave you? Right here? I might have given it to you. No, I left it in there. I'll have to look at that later. But uh, John Calvin has a lot about suffering. You know he suffered a lot, John Calvin. I mean, his illnesses were many. But he said, basically, what the book of Job teaches us is submission is the way to wisdom. You submit whatever when you don't understand you simply submit and god gives us then the wisdom he might not give us the answer but he gives us the wisdom he did with job i have heard thee by the hearing of the ear but now my eye seeth thee he got wisdom The psalmist said concerning him, we read it in psalm or sang it in psalm 39 was a blessing i was dumb i opened not my mouth because thou didst it I was dumb. I was silent, speechless. I opened not my mouth. Why did the psalmist do that? Because you did it. Well, is that sufficient answer? In some cases, if not in many, it is. Just simply submitting to God. And understanding and realizing and trusting in the goodness and mercy of God. In fact, I do have it here. Let me go ahead and read this. I want you to listen. It's really good. Sound wisdom. I quote, Afflictions are God archers. 
Calvin comments to which the best response is one of submission. Let us be content to walk whithersoever he leads and directs us, assuring ourselves that his only will must be to us the infallible rule of right. Very wisely said. Whereas we see Job so overmastered of his affections, let us understand that it is a right hard thing for us to submit ourselves to the single will of God without asking a reason of his works and especially of those works that surmount our wit and capacity. In dealing with the issue of suffering, Calvin suggests again and again that the purpose of the book of Job is not to provide explanations for it, but to suggest that submission is the way of wisdom. Submission. Let me close with this verse. Lamentations, right after the book of Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter 3. Here's some good wisdom here. Lamentations chapter 3. Listen to it. Verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, <clears throat> saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Watch. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. What's the yoke? It's the teachings and scourgings of God. So he's talking about it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Learn it young to bear the yoke. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust. Sounds like Job learned that. If so be there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled, filled full with reproach. Sounds like Job. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief. Thank you. For though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercy. Sounds like James. He causes it. But he says he'll have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. What is the purpose and intention of the book of Job? It's not to show light upon Job and his sufferings and afflictions. It's not to show light upon our own. It's to prove that God is very pitiful and of, a, and of tender mercy. And when we begin to question God and his providence in our lives, we greatly offend God. Let us, by God's grace, not darken counsel with words without knowledge, but let us, by God's grace, when God gives us no answer to our sufferings and our afflictions, even when we know that they're from the hand of God, let us, by God's grace, and it requires a lot of grace, let us, by God's grace, learn to humbly submit to God never judging or misjudging and misrepresenting his character, never questioning his goodness and his mercy, for God doeth all things good. Let us not fall into the sin of Job of trying to make an argument with God about our sufferings. And let us definitely not do the sin of his three friends who try to vindicate God's goodness and justify why God is doing what he's doing. Sometimes there's no answer. In this life, there may be in the next. <coughs> and I believe sometimes it's in God's perfect will that for without a cause, like Job, he strikes us. Listen to the rod, <coughs> or listen to the hand that holds the rod. The old prophet said, minor prophet said, listen to the hand that holds the rod. Sometimes God, without a cause, will do to us what he did to Job. Thank God, not in the measure. Job was an example. I don't believe God does that in such extreme to anyone. He might, but sometimes he will afflict us, his own hand, to teach us to be merely submissive to him, always trusting 
and believing in his goodness and his grace. And his, Job started out well. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why do you think James says, look at his endurance, his patience? It's not so much when the afflictions are quick, but it's when they're long and enduring. God, give us grace to submit to them, trusting in God that he is always good and that no matter what happens, it will always be for his glory and our eventual benefit, but first and foremost, for his glory. The book of Job is not about Job. It's about the Lord, who is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Amen. Next week, I want to look at Job's response, because I believe we can learn from that response. Job learned a lot from that, and we can learn from our afflictions. Even though there's no answer, we can learn from, and I hope and pray we will. Amen. So be in prayer for that this uh, next Sunday as well. And uh, uh, this is the most befitting topic, I believe, because July is a very hard month for my wife and I as well. It's the month my son was born, the month my son was taken from us in July. So it's a double uh, point where we kind of contemplate and meditate. and So uh, it's it's very fitting to what we're learning in Job. So, amen. Sometimes things aren't easy to learn, yet God in His grace is patient with us and long-suffering. Amen. May God give us grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in reality, I feel I haven't even scratched the surface of what Job chapter 42 says. I haven't come close to bringing to light what actually was happening in the heart and mind of Job. Lord, I just pray that you take your word that was preached and you would help us, Lord, to comprehend it, to understand it. Help us, Lord, to understand that, Father, in many ways, Father, you'll explain to us and teach us. You'll give us wisdom concerning our trials and afflictions. And yet, Father, there are times when your hand is heavy upon us, like we even sang in the psalm and in the hymns, that, Lord, we know not why your hand is so heavy. But, Lord, I pray that it would draw us to trust you more and more. Show us that wisdom is found in submission. And that, Lord, we can trust you. That we, even as Job at one moment in, in his life said, though he slay me, I'll trust in him. He had the confidence and faith to know that, uh, Lord, he'd see you in the flesh. Father, I pray that, God, you'd help us as your children. We're not looking, we're not desiring such afflictions. But, Lord, when you sovereignly, in your divine providence, ordained them to be so, I pray that, God, you'd give us grace to remember what we've learned from the book of Job. You're a good God, a gracious God, a loving God, compassionate, but you're also God. And you have no no reason to give us any answer to anything you do. Help us to be to find sufficient grace and comfort in who you are. Father, we love you and we thank you for all things. We ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen.